0: Hello and welcome to episode 121 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. Hi. I'm Anthony Malicki in U.S. editor of Waters, and I'm joined by James Rundle, our news editor. Hello. So, uh, we actually have a treat for you. You guys don't have to listen to us yammer on for too long this, this week. Hey! <laughs> we have um, uh, Dave Remy and Chris Condren uh, from Line Data. So, they're going to be on and they're going to talk about something that if you read about it, and if it sounds boring, and it, it, it I tried to do a little bit of study on it. But so it's something called CQRS-ES, so Command Query Responsibility Segregation, uh, which is a pattern uh, for event sourcing.
1: And now that we've lost half of our audience, let's just carry on. I mean, I swear you to God. set up, Tony. This I
0: swear it. to God, it sounds like a uh, root canal, it was actually a very enjoyable conversation, and it's kind of just one of those topics that you could read about, and you know when you read about it, it, kind of it's like reading a computer manual or something. I don't know, but having a conversation about it makes a lot more sense. And so, Dave and Chris are going to come on, give a little bit of the history of it, um, how they how they see use in it now. Uh, companies like Amazon are getting on board, Jet is get, getting on board, Jet.com. Um, and as the industry moves towards more and more of a microservices, you know, uh, orientation, uh, relying on cloud-delivered tools, uh, this the CQRS uh, pattern could see wider and wider adoption going forward, but there are challenges, there are risks, and so we'll also go into that. So that's going to come up in a little bit. Is uh, it the
1: first vendor we've had on the podcast, I think, or is it? Uh, IBM, we've had, IBM,
0: and yeah. we've had the Julia guys, Julia Computing, and, really oh, and then uh, ChartIQ.
1: Of course, yeah, yeah. life.
0: Um, yeah, so, well, I mean, but we are opening this up more and more, you know, um, and so if you guys have any good pitches that don't have to do with what your company sells, yeah, but just this industry This is a great
1: example, man. This is just a good story that you want to talk about. Um, exactly. This is the kind of thing we're aiming for, so,
0: yeah. Exactly. Industry-wide uh, issues, kind of things like that. Uh, certainly reach out to us. Um, James and I, in just a moment, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Bitcoin adoption um, and Coinbase. And you know, <laughs> just because James is like, come on, we haven't set, talked about it for about three weeks. And yeah, you know, we, this we, week we, we, was uh, a uh, yeah, big uh, coin conference here in New York uh, New York City. It's ridiculous. Uh Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to see the Lamborghinis. <laughs> um, before we get into any of that, just really quickly. So the Waters Rankings... By the time you are listening to this, because it's going to go live on Friday, we're recording this on Thursday. The Waters Rankings entry uh, submission deadline is 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. UK. Um, it's we're not gonna that's not going to be extended. So hopefully you've gotten your submission and All you had to do is put your company name and your product name. We've been barking about this for yeah. a while. So.
1: so if you if you listen to this on Friday morning, there's still time. All yeah. you have to do is literally that.
0: Yes, yeah. it's, it's really really easy. Um, but the second piece of this is the our readers our subscribers who are end users so banks hedge funds brokers whatever uh, May 22nd Monday the voting will begin and that will be open for I think about three weeks and it's just popularity characters so whoever gets the most votes in these cat in these categories wins um, so but we'll be talking more and more about that as it goes but just to let you know the deadline to submit is hitting and then voting will open up on Monday all right before we get into CQRS uh, James uh, put up a story on Thursday and it's taking a look at some of this, this Coinbase announcement that uh, they're launching Coinbase Markets uh, and it's from James' article and offering focus primarily at institutional traders which will introduce custody, prime services, professional-grade technology and research, sales and trading services for this segment. James, yeah. take us through it. All kinds of stuff. Um, so if you've been following our
1: coverage of crypto, I guess, one of the things we've been saying again and again is that it's not really for prime time. So, it has digital currency exchanges and they're slowly getting to grips with basic things like circuit breakers and what have you. But it's never really had the kind of um, the technology infrastructure you expect from a mature asset class. So, it doesn't have communication, it doesn't have ultra-fast data feeds. Um, you know, in some cases, the exchange goes town for six hours and no one picks up the phone kind of thing like that. This is really Coinbase trying to address that. Um, a very institutionally targeted offering, so they're introducing microsecond latency round-trips, um, on-premises data centre co-location, ultra-fast data feeds, um, custody services, uh, all these things that are kind of prerequisites for high-speed, high-frequency trading in a number of ways, um, which I guess is no surprise really. Um, you know, I, I filed a piece earlier this year talking about how all the prop shops in Chicago, all those big sort of speed trading firms are super into crypto at the moment. Yeah, And they've been crying out for this. Um, and I think it was a case of if Coinbase didn't do it, then, as we've seen in recent weeks, Nasdaq said it might be looking into doing cryptocurrency exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, ICE said the same thing as well. You know, if they didn't do it, then one of the big boys is going to do it as well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it was interesting in the piece I filed. Um, so it took Coinbase a good 48 hours to get back to me with comments. Um, in fact, they only got back to me after I published the story. So, <laughs> hey guys, ready for prime time? Questions from journalists. Um, <laughs> uh, not just the Wall Street Journal. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, You know, uh, I, I kind of took it a step further and so I spoke to a bunch of guys who are on the trading side of it and sure. said, you know, what do you think about this? And the guys on the government affairs side, and they were actually pretty, uh, not hostile, but I guess kind of cynical to an extent about it, quite sceptical. They are saying that this is happening way too fast. And this is from a trader at a yeah. hedge fund. I thought um, this is a good
0: quote, if you don't mind me uh, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah, so this is from a trader at a European hedge fund. Uh, the quote is, uh, it's a quote. Now this is coming into place, and it feels like we're sending the plasters in when the roof isn't on the building yet. I think everyone needs to slow down first, address the problems we have, resist the pressure from their clients, and handle this sensibly. Otherwise, when something goes wrong, there's going to be one hell of an adverse reaction from the regulators. And this is a trader at a hedge fund focusing primarily on cryptocurrency investments. So this isn't just like your Bahumbug, Humbug, you know, Jamie no, no. Dimon crowd. This is this is a, this deals is a with
1: specialist this. CTA yeah. Yeah. that sort of looks um, particularly at it, or the, you know, the European the CTA. Um, and for him to say that, and actually uh, that particular source has said this before when the futures are rolled out, he said it's too soon. Like we need to sort these problems up first. Some of these problems being pretty structural ones, like. Um, who regulates it? For instance, you know, is it the SEC? Is it the CFTC? The CFTC said it can regulate the derivatives, the futures, but it can't regulate the spot markets. Mm-hmm. Um, the SEC says it can regulate initial coin offerings as they pass the Howey test; they qualify as securities, but it's not saying it's going to regulate the spot exchanges. So, you know, where does this lie, as well? And you want to bring in that best quote? quote. Out, don't
0: you? Best quote from the from the article. So, this is a Washington DC based regulatory affairs head for a major market maker in traditional asset classes. And this source says, meanwhile, you have some regulators who are saying, you know, let it regulate itself, which seems like the best idea since someone thought about packaging up subprime mortgages and trading them. <laughs> which is just a great, snarky little Oh, uh, That guy's thick.
1: brilliant. He's, he's also given a win- rent a coin. But he's got a good point. Like, And, you know, there are various other fundamental issues, not just, um, and this isn't Coinbase's responsibility to solve, but in the wider market, like, you know, with the futures, are there still problems with uh, commingling? Funds and margin for futures trades on Bitcoin with the wider pool. What happens to get taken down? And all the rest of it. But the point is that they're saying that this is going too fast. Mm-hmm. You know, this time last year I wrote a story about flash crash and GDAX on Coinbase's exchanges where the price of Ether went um, from at the time like $200 or something to 20 cents mm-hmm. in the course of 49 nanoseconds or something. Um, Which wiped out everyone trading on margin. And at the time, they're saying, oh, yeah, you know, we should probably put in some circuit breakers and that kind of thing. Amazing amazing not have in the first place. Um, and now they're talking about bringing real money into this, and it's a little bit concerning.
0: Yeah. Um, there's obviously going to be a lot of news, it, 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 as the article points out, the breakneck pace of advancement development. Mm-hmm. It's tough to keep up with in a lot of ways. Well, if you
1: look at oil. I mean, this is everyone points back to oil when it became an asset class in its own right. That took years to develop, from a benchmark rates through to... All the other things around like prime services and custody and sort of yeah, you know delivery mechanisms and all the rest of it. and this is happening very very quickly in a way that not only alarms alarmist journalists but uh, also people who are actually trading this stuff who are saying whoa guys slow down like this we need to stop for a second and yeah. what we're doing.
0: I'm not going to be covering it, but uh, do you have any if, if any. If Want to send out some feelers uh, to the audience on any stories you're working on or as far as this is related to this?
1: Uh, I mean, I'm const- constantly covering this. Um, so if you agree, disagree, feel free to get in touch. Um, I'm particularly interested to hear from people who are trading it. Um, that's kind of been our focus so far. We've focused on talking to the HFT guys or talking to the hedge fund guys who are doing it. So definitely keen to get in touch. Also, if you're thinking about setting up any services around this, I mean, we've heard that there are several. Um, either security services branches or custody banks are looking at doing custody offerings, so if you want to talk to us about that, feel free to get in touch as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Alright, um, we're going to be we're going to kick it off to Dave and Chris, and I'll, I'll my interview I had with them earlier this week, um, and so they're going to talk again about CQRS doesn't sound sexy, it is a very interesting discussion, I highly recommend uh, listening to it, because it could play uh, a more prominent role in uh, financial technology going forward here um and then at the end james and i are going to come back just to have a little bit of a rant about the l train shutdown um so that'll just be our fun little you know at the end uh, yeah. you know you have your serious talk cqrs l train shutdown <laughs> so um but yeah uh, until then let's just first kick it over to dave and chris All right, I'm now joined by Dave Remy and Chris Condren from Line Data. Uh, Dave is uh, Line Data's Chief Technology Officer for the Asset Management Vertical and Chris is the Principal Software Architect uh, for the Asset Management Vertical. Today we're going to talk a bit uh, deep in the weeds on data architecture and talk about something called CQRS-ES. CQRS is a pattern, stands for Command Query Responsibility Segregation, and ES stands for Event Sourcing. These are things that I am just learning about now. Some of our audience will be uh, as well, and some people will be more familiar with it. But to start off with, I, I, either Chris or Dave, whoever wants to kind of kick it off, why don't we go over kind of history of this and how it got started, I believe, in algorithmic trading.
2: Yeah. So let me start for a second, because Chris will have a lot of depth, because um, Chris has really been deep in this, and as a principal architect, he's been doing a lot of our strategy, or, or strategy around, it, and has been in this community for a while. Okay. Okay. Um, And he can also give some of the history beyond, but we'll talk about what it is a little bit. So so command query responsibility segregation, event sourcing, and later I think we'll just probably use event sourcing for short. But the command query responsibility segregation is actually pretty straightforward. It's just splitting the write side, which is the command side, Mm -hmm. from the read side, which is the query side. And the idea is if you separate those concerns, then you can optimize for the write side. Um, and get high optimization, and actually simplify your your overall architecture by optimizing for the write side or the command side, mm-hmm. and then also separately optimize for the read side, for the query side. Okay. Um, and if you you do that, and that can be somewhat independent from event sourcing itself, you, um, event sourcing, but it enables event sourcing. Okay. Um, and then the event sourcing side is now that you have the commands going in, um, now you have commands going through the architecture and the writes going through, you can keep. Rather than going and changing the state of the database itself, you actually keep the events that, build, that would build up the state of the database. And no longer would you have in this architecture your monolithic relational database. The source of truth becomes the set of events, the event stream, um, that then now you can still have a relational database. So it's not saying relational databases don't have a role. But now you can start to parcel up your data in your data architecture. You can have independent streams. You can start to build distributed systems that scale up and scale down because the streams aren't going into one monolithic architecture that ties yourself into this monolith anymore. So for modularity and a whole set of other benefits you get when you move to this type of architecture. Okay. And so, Chris, why don't you expound and talk about history.
3: I mean, when I I give a talk about um, event sourcing, which is really the core pattern here, I like to start with the Mesopotamian tablets okay. for grain records from like three 000, five thousand years ago, because okay. we can still read them. They're yeah. right once media, and they've got the I can still read the grain record from this silo, sure three thousand years later. Okay, and then it shows up again in Italy, you know, with the Renaissance and shipping. So all of a sudden, merchants have this problem. We're going to take their entire family fortune, put it on a boat, send it to China, bring it back. Okay, first real distributed system. And how do you make sure all the ledgers line
0: up? I never would have thought this was millennia old, but sure. <laughs> right.
3: And so what do they do? They created ledgers and double ledger accounting. One ledger goes in the boat. One ledger goes stays at home. You bring them back together and you reconcile. Okay. Then again, you see the beginning of computer science. We talked about messages and functional programming being sent back and forth. And then we started to have data as a big problem. So the relational database came in. And the transaction log behind the database is an event stream. Okay. But then everyone focuses on you know, that third normal form read model. Mm-hmm. So what we're finding now is now we're, we have to re- reinvent it again. Because now, while the database is wonderful if you have one office and one site, and everything's there, as soon as you have an office in New York, in Hong Kong, in London, sure. how do you keep them all in sync?
0: And now more and more institutions are becoming more Correct. global in nature, and, and, then, and then microservices, then, and even right. so of cloud
3: and yeah. all that stuff. Sure, yeah. the microservices is that on steroids. Yeah. So now we're rediscovering this very old pattern. Okay. Of don't forget things, <laughs> write down what happened, don't erase them, don't change them, and build up your state.
0: Just by wonder, everything that you're saying right now, it's. There's a familiar uh, undertone in blockchain distributed ledger technology. Right. How does that maybe play into this?
3: Yeah. So, blockchain, my take on blockchain, mm-hmm. which oh, I'm okay. sure.
0: we don't always agree on this. Okay. Yes. I like that even
3: better. <laughs> blockchain is event sourcing on a public node or a series of nodes with a encryption key on each event. Okay. You just chain your encryption down, and event sourced with a chain encryption key is blockchain.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. And so it is a ledger-based. This is a it's a private ledger-based uh, model. So you don't have the, the elaborate consensus-based algorithms um, because you don't need them internally, typically. Sure. So and you have performance like the type of performance that you can see in these types of systems, uh, and primarily because you don't need those elaborate consensus algorithms that you would need for a blockchain. That's right. one. That's really the thing. The thing that makes it different. But the general idea of a ledger and actually using the ledger-based model to now be your core data source. Your source of truth, of which you can drive now, That those events that are created, you can drive all sorts of views now, um, right. based on that, rather than relying on one view, which was your norm, third normal form relational database, enables all sorts of other scenarios, many of them which you do see in the in the blockchain right. world.
3: And, and now you can time travel, because I can go back and replay and say, do what-if analysis, because I have all the things there. Okay. Right, okay. if I want to back test an algorithm, if I want to... Go back and research why did this occur. Everything is there. I don't have to have all my audit tables, and history tables, and as of as that tables. I just put a, you know, a compensating event in the log, where we made our, where we change our mind, and now it's part of the record. Okay. And you just play it all together. And for for performance, I've written systems that run at like, 113 million events a second, on one core. Yeah. So, you can get this thing screaming fast.
0: You know, as you said, the, the idea behind this is plenty old, but this has been around for a while. Take me through maybe why it's not completely, totally 100% adopted um, mm-hmm. and how maybe some, what the kind of, maybe the devil's arg- argument is because I've read, I don't know, but that this can add some complexity if yeah. done incorrectly.
3: Yes. If done incorrectly, it can definitely turn a bit. But then again, your database, if done incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Can turn into a into a pit of despair, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, so it really came. The recent story of it is Greg Young. Really, he was running CTO of an algorithmic trading house in Canada. Okay. And he took domain driven design, and he made the events domain objects, and he event sourced the entire the entire system for everything in the trading house. Okay. So they were doing full speed algorithmic trading, all event sourced. Um, and that's really the current wave of this. And now it's being rediscovered by Jet.com and other startups. Netflix.
2: And Netflix. So from Silicon Valley to financial services, you're getting a lot of adoption. But there is still some controversy about complexity. There, right. The, right. the community will often argue, they'll argue about this to some extent, but um, there is a, one of the reasons the complexity is there, and, and some will argue it's, it's much simpler. And you think about it, there's a good argument for it. I think um, the co- the complexity r- right now, all the systems are there, and they have a lot of what they call accidental complexity. It has because they right. haven't been designed with this model of of this writes being separated from reads, and this this leads to a one-way sort of flow of data through your system. Mm-hmm. And if you look throughout the industry, like if, I don't know if you're familiar with React uh, on the sure. on the UI side um, or Angular 2, uh, everybody or functional programming techniques, this approach of having um, immutable data as much as possible. So l- limiting where you're writing and then having immutable data actually simplifies things. Mm-hmm. And this is what you see. What you see. However, people have been building systems in relational database right. for 20 years. What um, do you mean I
3: can't edit? So if you take away that edit from someone who's been doing this forever, and they're like, I don't know what to do next.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. Right. And so do you, have to, you have to understand the, the programming model to do this. And really, it's not well known yet but the challenge that I see is if, if you're really trying to build distributed microservices micro, decoupled microservices oriented system where the data itself, the module itself can stand alone uh, there's there's not a lot of options, there's not a lot of if you look out in there you won't see a lot of prescription about how, how to build those types of systems mm-hmm. where this is like a nine-year-old, so Greg Young did this in 2009 mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a mature approach for building these modern distributed scale-up scale-down yeah. highly auditable systems mm-hmm. that Maybe it exists, but I, I, when I first was doing the strategy that kind of for Line because I'm responsible for the strategy for line Day, was how are we going to do things like take our monolithic products and move them into smaller uh, um, versions in a microservice oriented architecture sure. or be cloud ready and this is the approach that seems really one of the best and it's being adopted um, as a best practice through a lot of the industry. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I haven't had any trouble getting junior developers when I can sort of get them fresh. Mm-hmm. And train they adopt this very quickly, and they're very productive, very fast. Yeah, it's really the the retraining the mindset that causes people to think about complexity or not knowing the patterns. There's a series of now well-known patterns to deal with all these problems. Yeah, and once you say, "Oh, you do this with a read model," you know, you you save a checkpoint, so I have to go replay a million events, right? Yeah. So once you know the patterns, and you can start off, it's very straightforward
0: what would you envision being so obviously this is a bit of changing hearts and minds of you know tried and true developers mm-hmm. uh, fair enough along the way you had mentioned that companies like Netflix and Jet are getting behind this yep. what's that kind of inflection point what do you kind of view kind of that pushing this forward is it the this this industry wide uh, push toward microservices what else do you yeah. kind of see being that kind of push toward wider adoption so
3: i'd say the cloud because mm-hmm. the cloud then brings you into independent components. Um, I would say just the ability now that blockchain is coming out, that's pushing a lot of financial systems that way, mm-hmm. and just the ability to scale and change. Because with these traditional systems, there's a diminishing set of returns. You know, Every new feature costs you more money for the same amount of things because that relational database is sitting there.
0: Yeah. And
3: it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Whereas with this approach, you can isolate everything, and you don't lose your productivity every time you ship something new.
0: Okay.
3: So this this real need for high-speed distributed systems is driving everything, and that's coming across to everybody. Everybody's going global. Everybody's going. If you've got a company where you don't need an audit, and you don't need more than one office, and you don't need, then sure, use a database. Don't sure. bother. But... If you're driving, building something big, useful, reliable, robust, then use this. Okay, I mean, one okay. of the things, um, when I first got started at Wellington, I sort of realized that there's this level of, what I call level zero requirements. that nobody even talks level zero
0: what? Requirements. Okay.
3: The things nobody or even talks about- Requirements? Yeah, you know, they just assume that your app is gonna have disaster recovery. Okay. It's gonna have high availability. It's gonna be able to reconcile. It's gonna have a good audit log. It's gonna do as of, as at. And this checks all of those boxes. So if you're building a system that's above that line, I can't see why to build it any other way. Okay. But I've been doing this for a while now, so I'm I'm fully indoctrinated. Yeah, Dave <laughs> has think, got some more reservations.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, one what, what of the things that, are, there's a challenge, to get to an inflection point, one of the things that's missing is enough information out there. The, 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 well, there, there's a guy, Greg Young, who did a lot of this, and he, he was going to write a book. He still hasn't written that book yet. No. He's taught mostly through him teaching classes that the the actual approach, that the code level, that, that a lot of people are employing, they had to have almost gone through his class or be one of the people that went through his classes. So getting this knowledge out, which is something that we're trying to work on, um, open source tools, open source type tools, which... This is one thing, we, we're, we have an open source project that we're doing to help make it more accessible for enterprise developers to, yeah. to use these patterns, not just be you know one of the top architects at Google to be able to, to do yeah. this. Um, but that's a key thing. Um, there is, I don't know if you know, but Gartner put event-driven architecture as one of the um, top 10 uh, strategic technologies for 2018. Okay. And you're seeing, there's, there's companies like Kafka, or not um, actually, it came out of LinkedIn, technologies like Kafka, which uh, this event model is there also for. Okay. So you, you're, you're seeing event-driven approaches becoming the vogue right now, mm-hmm. but what a lot of that is still is around enterprise integration patterns, um, which is a valid pattern, a very important yeah. pattern, but what we're talking about also is the distributed systems itself, the systems right. themselves being built in an event-oriented way. Yeah, so it's
3: not events to synchronize, The events are the source of your data.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so to really make that work, there's a couple of things you have to layer on to keep yourself sane. Mm-hmm. You know, like the concept of, a, of a, a vector clock. Every event is in order, and that order number tells you where you are in the time stream. Okay. Right, and that solves so many synchronization problems, mm-hmm. where you have one master place where everything comes down and all happens in order. So now when I have data center and Hong Kong goes down and New York, and we had to bring one back up, I know New York was here. Mm-hmm. I re-bring, you bring know, Hong Kong up to there, and I know exactly where I'm at because I've got that master sequence number. okay, And just approaches like that, you know, are what make it really work for the heart of a system and not these other patterns, which are all really good, but they're not quite the same as event sourcing. Okay.
0: Let me ask you this. So, obviously, without saying, you know, Blind is a great company, but without going down the the best, you know, better than your (laughs) competitors route, Mm -hmm. but take me through... How this has benefited as you've been dealing with your asset management hedge fund clients? Mm-hmm. What how have you been able to improve the line data service uh, to better you know help them out al- along the way? How has this been proven to be beneficial? I guess for the offering.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the key things and what it drove initially, and this is only one of them, but we'll, we'll add some more. But was this ability to offer things in a modular way, which. If, which helps in a variety of ways. One is they don't have as big of a footprint. They don't have to have the full OMS, uh, you know, PMS necessarily. They can have just the trading or just the portfolio management Mm -hmm. or even smaller modules. And one of the the benefits of that is upgrades. Upgrades for enterprise software is one of the most difficult aspects. Upgrading your OMS Mm -hmm. is one of you know, the nightmare things that a lot of companies have to live through, sure. and it, it's not good from either, for either the vendor or the customer. Um, and so they put it off longer and longer, and this problem just gets worse. So by having these modular approaches, the upgrades become much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the nature of the technology helps as well, but even just the size, right? Even when you can have, you can version these things all independently now, um, you can now upgrade it. So that's, that's one of the key aspects.
3: One of the other aspects is, now that we have the event source system, we can know every service or a function that uses every event. So we do an upgrade, I can give you a list of these five things changed. Mm-hmm. Everything else is the same. And we can test everything in silos. So I can give you a complete plan of what's impacting and what's not, and I can prove it. Mm-hmm. So in having a provably correct system is something that is actually very difficult to do unless you start from the beginning. You know, it's very easy to have a system that you. You've got good tests, and you know everything should work right. But with this customization or that customization, or this deployment, have you really covered that? Is always an open question, okay. right? So these provably correct systems really help with the upgrade, installation, all that stuff.
0: Okay. And you mentioned before about you know that there are certain pieces that you kind of have to add on to this for companies that might want to explore this. Where do you see the the common mistakes made? Where what what kind of recommendations kind of do you make for firms that are maybe just starting to, to look at go those, down this path and look at it, yeah?
3: Um I think the body of work that Greg Young has put together is excellent. Um take a look at what like has done, all their stuff at CERN, but the major thing that for I find makes all the difference is begin with the concept of vector clocks on every event stream. This idea that everything is sequenced, and then you have a master sequence. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, that really solves a ton of problems. Because that's where a lot of the... I see things where people are doing replications back and forth, like a multi-master node system. And they've got to figure out whether or not they got all the events, or they didn't get all the events, and they go down the spiral of they don't know where they're at. So just being able to know where you're at with your master position... Solves your caching problems, distribution problems, synchronization. You know, and then the other one is, um, being okay with stale but not wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, Once you accept that fact. Because the thing is, if I make a change in New York, Hong Kong isn't gonna know about it instantly, even with the best Oracle cluster in the world. Yeah, There's always a delay. This system makes that delay explicit. So once you wrap your head around that, those two things, you know, understanding that it's not about eventual consistency in terms of, well, I don't know when it's gonna be right, but I'm at version five and I'll go to version six, but I'm never gonna be wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely correct at five, I'm absolutely correct at six.
2: Okay. And I guess to, at a higher level, and you can probably tell this from talking with Chris, uh, it takes education and training sure. and, and investment in that. And, and it's it's got similar impact as DevOps or, um, cloud-based technologies, where it truly affects culture—that yeah. Um, yeah. these these people have been the way you write systems, it does change a bit. Well, one of the questions
0: I was going to actually ask is from a talent acquisition—you know, because this is always a problem whenever you're going to talk about technology. Yeah. Do you find that? That you're having to do the training on this with with new developers, or is this something that is starting to become a little bit more complex coming out of the schools, or not at all?
3: In the States, we're doing the training ourselves. Yeah. There are regular classes on this that people can go to in Europe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this, the open source project. And we're going to try and do some, you know, online training videos to help people come up to speed on this. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, no, uh, that's exactly right. We're, we are investing in, do, in the training ourselves right now. And we also, this is a part of the, the answer to one of your previous questions, that this is one of the things we want to be a part of and w- why we'd like to be on a podcast like this and, and, and actually start getting a community, a larger community. Sure. Um, there is a larger European community, actually. And you see London getting a lot of a lot of these types of examples happening. And, and similarly, we're doing things like in Boston doing a CQRS ES meetup um, in there, we're t- we're, we have, a, and that's been a very successful meetup. We've only had seven meetups so far, um, but we want to do the same thing in um, in New York, in London, and and spread this more so mm-hmm. the
0: knowledge. So the particular more- reason why this kicked off more in Europe than over here, because Greg guy in Canada. Yeah. Greg,
3: uh, well, he was in Canada when he did it. He then moved to Europe. Oh, uh,
0: okay.
3: And he got married in Europe.
0: Yeah. In, in Lithuania. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah there you go. That makes sense. Then. And that's exactly
3: why he moved over.
0: Very good. So,
3: um, well.
0: And then, is there anything else? I mean, not, uh, anything else? I, I mean, that maybe we didn't hit on that you think is important uh, from there. I mean, on the
3: on the pure dev side. I mean, when you really get going with the battery, you find it's faster develop features, it's easier testing, more rapid delivery, much more robust deliveries in terms of quality, and you know, higher performance systems. Uh-huh. So yeah. once you get over the bar to get running with it, you reap all those benefits in they stay and bringing juniors up you know, as long as you expect you have to do it yeah. isn't a problem.
2: So you the, the listeners can't see my gray hair but I've been in this business for <laughs> 30 years and and really I guess I in my role I had a challenge with strategy it's a, it's many of our listeners will have the same role a challenge of what is the strategy how do you what in this cloud oriented um, microservices oriented API oriented um, data the importance of the visibility of data what strategy would you use to actually do that? And I really we ran into serious problems with the relational database itself. Mm-hmm. So this concept of turning the relational database inside out um, and actually thinking of the, the log of events as being the source, of, the source of truth ends up being an approach that you can use to, for solving distributed systems problems. Um, and so for me, and, I, and a lot of people we've exposed this to, this is something. This is a paradigm sort of shift from that relational model that is, I think, is not only extremely valuable. I think it's mandatory to be able to build these new types of uh, distributed systems. So,
3: and it also opens the door to complex event processing, AI, machine learning, all become simple because now you have all the changes. Yeah. So all the work you would do in a relational database, or half the work to create your data sets to train your AI is done because you just go back over the. The, the event stream of all the changes that
0: occurred. Okay. Well, Chris, Dave, thanks so much for taking time and filling us in on this. Yeah.
3: Thank you. Thank you
0: very much. Nice. Nice all right. And we are back, um, which is great because we just, we never really, we just, almost awesome. as if no time passed yeah. at all. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a great discussion uh, on CQRS. And uh, I want to thank um, Dave and Chris uh, for taking the time and coming down here to our offices. In our fancy little studios that we have here. I did hear
1: them when they walked in the going, Oh, you're going to take us to the studio then? Yeah. And you are like,
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so here's the conference room. Good acoustics.
1: <laughs> Speaking of uh, putting any feelers out, if anybody has any professional grade uh, recording equipment they want to give to us for free, then we can make this better. We will definitely listen. We were nominated for a Digiday Award, you know. <laughs> 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 Sorry, finalists.
0: Finals, yeah. finalists. Yeah. Um, so I, t- I live in Williamsburg. Yep. I don't take the ultra, I take the ferry service. I I refuse unless I'm it's too late and the, but then I'm just kind of drunk, so I just don't mind getting onto an Ultra train right. and shooting yeah. across the river. But uh, and James has to take the M, I believe it is to take get across. The M and then
1: the J and the Z as well. Yeah.
0: M J Z getting from uh, Queens. Which are the
1: three ones that are ones gonna be most impacted by this? Which is awesome. Having just actually and just point of fact, where I live in the arse end of Queens, um, the M. Because of the metal viaducts, it's just been down for a year. We've just got it back, yeah. so my commute's just shrunk from being like an hour and forty-five minutes to being forty-five minutes. It's the best thing in the world. Yeah, literally this morning I got off the train and I was like, "Well, this is great!" Like this I'm walking great. into work, and then I read this piece, and then uh, uh, really the Village
0: Voice uh, put out uh, the article: "Is the L train shutdown scenario just got a whole lot worse?" and One of the scenarios, one of the plans, is to rely more heavily on the JMZ. Um, Well, that's
1: why they shut my line down. The idea being that they were going to reinforce the Viaduct to carry, you know, more trains and uh, more volume of passengers on it. Yeah.
0: Um, Unfortunately, one of the things that that either they didn't really consider or that they just said, you know what, we'll just see what happens and roll a dice here. I think they knew
1: about it all along and they just didn't want to say it because everyone was going to literally riot.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So the problem that you face is... Uh, the way that it is set up, so this goes over the Williamsburg Bridge mm-hmm. um, into Manhattan, and then there's this uh, as the, as this is from the article. As the J train departs Marcy Avenue, it departs onto uh, an S curve heading towards Williamsburg Bridge, so it, you naturally have to slow down. And what they found is that under perfect conditions, uh, they can um, 24 trains can cross the Williamsburg Bridge per hour. As under best case perfect conditions, which anybody who's ever lived in New York City and experienced the MTA, perfect conditions is I don't think that that actually exists. Well, I mean, it's just
1: by very, by dint the fact that they have to shut down. When they talk about shutdowns on lines, they're talking in year terms and not just in mm-hmm. sort of. I mean, I was back in London last week and I was talking to a few of my buddies about this, and they were so they were complaining about the District Line being down the weekend, and I was like, "Stop moaning, guys! I mean, mine's been down for a year." And they were just like, "What? Like?" Yeah how do you manage for a year? I said, well, the old train's gonna have for two years. And they it's like, what the hell,
0: man? Yeah, no, it's going to be tough. And, you know, just just reading from this article, this is pretty in, uh, interesting. So uh, just reading from this village voice piece, but yet these same planning documents show that even 24 trains per hour, if a tree achieved represents an increase of only three trains per hour over the current schedule. That's enough to carry approximately 6,000 more riders per hour than currently possible. The L train, for comparison, carries almost four times that, or 24,100 riders per hour across the East River. And then this is the other piece that I thought was really interesting. Unfortunately, there aren't any other lines uh, with extra capacity to pick up the slack. Uh, It kind of gets into um, what it is, but basically this comes down to, if you look at all the trains that are crossing the East River that L train riders could potentially take, um, the 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 takeaway of this is that that comes to twelve point five fewer trains total, an overall reduction in capacity of approximately twenty five thousand riders per hour. Well, I think the
1: stupid thing is to accommodate this; they are also having to reduce the R service as well. Yeah, so like two trains an hour, and yeah. the lengthening the C trains, and I think the G trains as well. But yeah,
0: yeah, the G train's kind of like the stopgap. Really, it's it's not that's not going to really help that. I mean, you can the, take that up to the, well, it's it's the it's seven. A shuttle service, right? Up to yeah. the seventh,
1: and then yeah, yeah. it's fine. But like. That doesn't really help anybody who the vast majority of people, I guess, work in either midtown or downtown. Yeah. You know, sort of, you know.
0: It's going to be a nightmare. And then, so I take the ferry. Um, I was originally uh, the East River Ferry. Now, excuse me, it's the NYC Ferry, uh, Mayor de Blasio's grand plan to, you know, really open up the waterways. And... He had this event at the beginning of March, uh, May saying that, they, that they're that they going to significantly expand uh, the ferry service here in New York City. And everybody loves it. It's great. It's only 275 so the same as an individual ride on the subway. So it's nice on that. Right now you have East River, Rockaway, South Brooklyn, and Astoria. They're going to be open up uh, to the Bronx, to East 90th, and to the Lower, Lower East Side soon to come. Uh, <laughs> two things that really jump out. They expect that by 2023, uh, annually, 9 million riders will take the ferry. That sounds like a lot. Oh, wow, 9 that's pretty great. Every single day, 8 million people take the subway and buses. (laughs) So it's really a small dent that that all this money is being flooded into the ferries are really making in this congestion. It's just not helping. The other thing is they spent all this money. And de Blasio had this wonderful little thing. He goes at this press conference. He starts off by going, we're going to need a bigger boat, you know, echoing Jaws. It's like, no kidding, you idiot. They built these boats. They can only house 150 people. The old uh, the East River Ferry boats could house 400 people.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a lot less people. Now, they had to have their concession stands and everything like that. Now, don't get me wrong. It's nice to go on get a beer and stuff like that. But there's no room you're just yeah. a sardine at peak hours now if you're gonna if you think that just shoving more people onto this boat is going to be an answer to any sort of L chain con- congestion you're absolutely out of your mind and so now they're going to spend money to build some 350 passenger boats probably should have thought about that sooner I guess
1: I mean this comes back to the subway thing as well, which I thought was mental it was the fact that they've brought out all these um, seatless carriages in the L- train yeah over the last year or so with this massively enhanced like uh, standing room, which is not that great because you can't hold on to anything if you're stuck in the middle. Yeah. But why are you doing on the L train that's gonna shut down for two years? Do it yep. on the J and the Z, do yep. it on the M train. It's, yep. I mean, you can surely double your capacity overnight. It's, fine.
0: it's the as always, living in New York City, you would think that we would have our metro system down. It is just a, just a crumbling nightmare right well, now. I mean, it's
1: run by, you know, problem obviously being this run by albany not by yeah. people from new york city right? exactly that's exactly. no, a <laughs> it's just, huge
0: huge piece of this but that ferry
1: thing is nuts as well i mean also how long are they going to carry on how am sorry how long are they how long are we going to carry on absorbing the cost of this and our new york city tax and everything else and that's the of, other thing
0: is that you know? you're losing money on these ferries that don't get me wrong i love the ferry service but this used to be just kind of like a small little stop gap yeah. it was much more expensive it used to be four dollars per ride uh instead of 275 if people think that this is sustainable if, Throwing more and more ferries onto the water to go more and more routes, yeah. while still charging two seventy five. Yeah. I haven't seen the 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 budget analysis of this, but from what I understand, that's not quite sustainable.
1: Well, every extra ferry, well, every ten ferries mean that you're multiplying the losses by a factor of ten. Sure, yeah. in terms of doing that, and all the extra infrastructure you have to put in place in terms of staff, in terms of docks, in terms of um, maintenance, and everything else that goes on yeah. in terms of it. I mean, it's gonna be crazy. But, I mean, it's just I mean. I don't know what it means for Williamsburg personally. I don't know how many businesses are going to close down over the next two years because there's not going to be. I mean, I think a lot well, of people are looking to move right now. Surely. Well, so, I
0: mean, that, that's. I mean, you do feel bad for some of the local businesses that have been around for forever. So I've been. I'm not. I've been living in Williamsburg now for twelve years, so I'm not old hat, but I've been living there for more than a yeah, decade, so yeah. I've seen this transformation. It's fair you know, say first you're a local. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is going to kill. Like. So I, I still think that really that, that that heart that sweet spot of you know Bedford between like North Sixth and you know maybe North Eleventh you know that that will still kind of thrive to an extent, but what about like where I, I live off of the Graham Avenue stop two stops down? Mm. You know, there's a ton of restaurants that have opened up there. You have a new um, uh, music venue over there that's getting a lot of play. Uh, Brooklyn Steel, I think it is. Yeah. um
1: Because the, the other lines don't stop anywhere near where the airline stops, do they? Yeah, like, well, you got the G then, but there. that's again,
0: yeah, it's, yeah. And then you have the James which is going to be on South Williamsburg. Oh, yeah. I, it, I feel bad for. I think that that there are going to be a lot of companies that are going to struggle um, unless they figure out a better plan than what they have in place right now. Then
1: they work out. They couldn't put. That many extra buses on as well. It wasn't in the Village Voice article. I, yeah. I think in the New York Times uh, or maybe it's was Gothamist because they come back now. Yeah, um, saying something like the weight of the extra buses on the Williamsburg Bridge with the extra trains meant they couldn't put that many on as well. Yeah. So it's just screwed. I don't know that you would
0: almost have to like shut that. And say a bridge, this bridge, one of these bridges, you know, mm. Manhattan, uh, Brooklyn, or uh, Queensboro. Yeah. One of these bridges is just going to be commuter. It's uh, just commuter yeah.
1: during the hours of eight until ten, yeah. and then from four until seven or something like yeah. that. I'm sorry, other guys, you got to take the cost. you got to take, you know, one of the other bridges.
0: Yeah. Um, otherwise, I, I, yeah, I don't know how they're going to accomplish this. It's going to be a real, real nightmare. Well, that's
1: what you thought. And then they'll even just saying, like, you know, it's going
0: to be half buses and then half pedestrian traffic, so you yeah. can bike to work
1: if you want to. That kind of thing and I just... love when they
0: say this whole bike to work thing. Mm. A beautiful, sunny day. I don't know if they've ever tried to cross a bridge on a bike in the middle of winter. In the, in the middle of February. Yeah, yeah I don't think that that's going to be a viable option. If, I'm just throwing it out there.
1: Yeah, we don't have the sunny Mediterranean <laughs> climates. I'm going to go
0: put on my three-piece suit and bike across here, and, uh, yeah. or when it's a 100 degrees outside. And yeah, Sure, I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy.
1: It's, it's just nuts, yeah. yeah.
0: So, yeah, good planning. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But everybody should be keeping an eye on this. And this is why I always say, people, man... You know, you always talk about, oh, it's you know, national, I'm going to vote in national. Did you vote for your mayors? Did you vote for your city council? Did you vote for these people that will affect your everyday lives, your tax dollars, the things that really, really hit you? Yeah. This is why you vote. You vote in those local elections. You vote and make sure that your city councilmen are hearing you. Because right now, they they ain't got no good plans right now. <laughs> On an unrelated note, no if anybody plan. has any
1: uh, decently priced real estate in Long Island, they want to sell me, on yeah. in the market. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: All right. Well, uh, again, uh, thank you to Dave and Chris for joining us. We will be back next week. We might have a guest next week. Dude, Chris
1: Isaacson from Sebo uh, Global Markets is going to be talking to me about um, the migration to their C2 technology, how they've upgraded all of the stuff. So it's going to be really good. Beautiful. Beautiful.
0: So, yeah. Um, and again, if anybody has any ideas on people to uh, have on, uh, we'll all use. Uh, but until next week, uh, enjoy the weekend. Cheers.